This is Florida Matters, I'm Matthew Petty. Ruby Bridges, a movie based on the story of a six-year-old girl's experience of integration in New Orleans during the 1960s, will continue to be shown as part of Pinellas County Schools curriculum. That's after a school board review committee reviewed a complaint about the movie from the parent of a North Shore elementary school student. Parents at the school were told they could opt out of having their child watch the movie during a screening as part of Black History Month. Two parents opted out, and one wrote a formal complaint that the movie was inappropriate to be shown to second graders. The complaint and reports that the movie had been banned at the school sparked an outcry from the community. Goliath Davis III addressed the controversy in a series of columns for the Weekly Challenger, a newspaper covering Tampa Bay's African-American communities. Davis, a retired police officer who was the city of St. Pete's first black police chief, told WSF his column was based on some miscommunication from the school district, but he stands by what he wrote and says in his view the film was banned before the ban was lifted. In your most recent column on Ruby Bridges and North Shore Elementary, you wrote about the review process for the film, which was open to the public. I wonder if you just tell us what that was like. What do you think the school district got right and how they handled this? Well, the review process was um, quite amazing. All of the committee members and the, were on point, on target. It was obvious they'd done a considerable amount of work. Uh, it was very efficient. The decision that was reached was, in my opinion, the correct one. Mm-hmm. The superintendent said the film was never banned. I said it was, and all the evidence points to the fact that it was. Uh, they basically voted to reinstate the movie. And explain that a, a little, if you could, because you say there's a series of emails that back you up. So there was different information coming from different people in, within the school board? Right. The complainant sent an email to the superintendent, Kevin Hendrick. Kevin Hendrick then dispatched one of his area superintendents to go out and meet with Ms. Conklin regarding the complaint. After he'd completed his initial investigation, he then uh, sent an email back to the superintendent, Kevin Hendrick, and that email detailed what, in fact, he had sent to the complainant that the film will no longer be used in the K through five curriculum. Hmm. So in my mind, that was a ban. And everyone else who reviewed that documentation agree that it was a ban. Right. And and he addressed this Pinellas County Superintendent Kevin Hendrick did write about this in a op ed in the Tampa Bay Times, saying that it was never banned, but You've said that you're standing by what you wrote in your original yeah, well, column. He said it was never banned. It was a miscommunication mm-hmm. and a uh, issue with timing. I stand by my column because if, in fact, what the superintendent said was correct, I would have anticipated that he would have immediately had some type of press conference or issued a statement indicating that the film wasn't banned. But instead... We didn't hear from him until this particular issue just grew and mushroomed and got to a place where, from, I guess, their perspective, it was becoming unmanageable. What was your reaction when you first heard about this? You heard about the complaint, the fact that the school board was at least reviewing the movie? Well, the the startling thing to me, as I said in, in the column, was that they already gone through great difficulty with the bluest eye in banning that. That was a book that was banned. It was utilized in one of the um, 
North County High Schools, Palm Harbor, and all of the students, the parents of that school, the community, everybody rose up and protested that. So I found it ironic, having stubbed their toe in that instance, they would turn around <laughs> weeks later and then ban a movie hmm. featuring a six-year-old girl who basically was a, a good role model for all of the students in the school because she overcame adversity and painted a picture for how you go through turbulent times and still persevere. Are the readers of the Weekly Challenger pretty vocal? Like, do you get a lot of feedback from your readers? I get a lot of feedback. Uh, meet people on the street. Uh, they call my phone. We really uh, hit a historical mark with those particular columns. I think we initially, when we started, we went over 20,000 or so hits. Is that unusual? It's very unusual. Wow. Um, got calls from individuals all over the country, got inquiries from as far away as London, England. So this particular film and the banning of this film set off a, a international response. Now, for people who may not be familiar with the film Ruby Bridges or the person whose life it's based on, and it's, I think it's probably important to note that she's now a, a fairly prominent civil rights figure in her own right. So why is it important for people, for second graders to see the movie? Well, when the second grade team researched who they wanted to present, they chose, according to the testimony that they gave at the review committee, Ruby Bridges, because she was a six-year-old girl. She was relatable to second graders, and it demonstrated bravery, it demonstrated how you can overcome adversity, it demonstrated how you can use your voice for change in, in society. Now, Ruby suffered through a lot of profanity as well as racial slurs, but now Ruby, the grown adult and her civil rights activism preaches tolerance, love for one another, and emphasizes the fact that we are not born with the type of attitudes that were displayed towards her when she was a kid. Mm. So someone has to learn those things. So this movie gave the teachers an opportunity to teach how you overcome intolerance and things that you could do to make sure that it never happens again. Have you ever had an opportunity to, to meet Ruby Bridges or, or speak to her? No, we've been uh, reaching out because we, we think that it would be appropriate if Ruby could come to St. Pete and uh, if not only the kids who saw the movie but other kids in the Pinellas school system could have an opportunity to meet her and, and learn from her lesson. Now, what would you say to the parent who wrote to complain about the movie being shown to second graders? Well, you know, I, I respect the parent's right not to have her child view the movie, but I differ with her in her position that no one in second grade should view the movie, given that the vast majority of the parents who receive the permission slips 
consented to their kids watching the movie. So parental rights are great, but that parental right should uh, basically deal with you and, and your offspring. You don't have the right to tell other parents what to do as it relates to their kids in, in terms of education. So I asked you about the review process for this particular movie, and, and you said it was, it was well done. The school did what they could. It was very thorough. But I wonder, I mean, just in general, do you think the process of, of being able to raise a complaint like this, I mean, does it is it fair for material like Ruby Bridges? Does it open things up for bad faith challenges? Well, it does. It does. The law itself places everyone in, in an awkward position because, in my estimation, the school, the second grade teachers, the whole team did everything that they were supposed to do. Everything they did was right. It was only when the parent decided to execute a formal process that things went haywire and the film was uh, had already been shown. So, as I said in, in one of the columns that I wrote, there's already a very good process in place. Teachers sent home permission slips. Parents have an opportunity to either consent or to opt out. The parents who opt out, their kids are given different assignments. The parents who consent, their kids are allowed to to watch and the teachers go forward with their lesson. So it it makes no sense that an opting out parent would then move to try to keep consenting parents from having their rights. Are you expecting more challenges to how things like African-American history are taught or how school districts might react to other content that some parents may consider controversial? Yeah, I I anticipate that uh, this is only the uh, tip of the iceberg Hmm. because, uh, unfortunately, we we have a a governor who is playing the culture war in an attempt to um, get elected and cultural wars are very divisive. And my appeal would be to parents and, and, and citizens to not partake in that divisive type of uh, behavior. But they're the moms of liberty. I call them the mothers of liberty because that's what they are, mothers. And mothers shouldn't invoke such hostility and, and anger towards mm-hmm. kids, theirs or anyone else's. Is there something in what they're saying that that you can kind of align with? I mean, this idea of parental rights, you, you said earlier, it's it's a good thing. But like, where, I, where do you... I align with the fact that if, if, if they don't want their kid to watch a movie or read a book, that's great for their kids. Mm-hmm. But you can't tell the people who don't object that their kids can't watch or read either. The, the biggest obstacles that, that we face in, in, in this war is that We don't have a governor and a legislature that will, quote-unquote, do the right thing. I mean, Governor Santos has been known to contribute to campaign funds for individuals who share his his views as it relates to um, being, quote-unquote, anti-woke. So consequently, you know, he's going around stacking school boards and other offices with individuals who will perpetuate 
what I call nonsense, to suggest that uh, history should be distorted or erased because a white kid may feel ashamed or guilty makes no sense at all. History is history, and what better place to teach what's appropriate and what's inappropriate than in a classroom? Kids can sit at the dinner table and listen to their parents and hear inappropriate things. And if you're not taught in class or some other place, you don't have a point of departure. You really don't have a benchmark. You have no way to evaluate whether those views are correct or not. But there's also the interpretation of history, right? I mean, it seems like the struggle right now is to who gets to decide what stays in the history book, what stays out, how you interpret that. And that's, that's my point. And that interpretation is one that we're fighting because the people in power, the governor and the legislatures and so forth, right now they have the hammer, they have the stick, and they are trying to decide. And it's up to us to, uh, to fight against that. What else do you fear might be eliminated or challenged in public schools? So far, it's coming and going, and you really don't know until it rears its head. And uh, when people talk about, well, we don't want to teach this because it, it makes our kids feel guilty, uh, it, it's, it's okay to teach your kids that African-Americans were slaves, but it's not okay, given some of their objections, to teach your kids about the things that African-Americans had to overcome and the type of contributions that they made to the world and to society. It seems to be okay to teach your kids that on the Trail of Tears, many, many Native Americans died. And you want to juxtapose that with the fact that Andrew Jackson was supposedly a great man. Well, Andrew Jackson is not revered at all (laughs) in in Native American uh, folklore. So uh, teach truth. Teach what history is. There was nothing righteous about the Trail of Tears. There was nothing righteous about slavery. Mm -hmm. And, And, you know, the new thing now is... The pronouns. You can't use the pronouns. You you can't tolerate the fact that some kids are gay. Teachers can't really advise them if they have questions because they are fearful of losing their jobs. But that's the reality of the world. We're not all born straight. And what's ludicrous about it is kids in school, they are rubbing elbows with straight, gay, trans every day. So it's not the kids who have the problem. It's the adults who mm-hmm. are trying to impose these crazy views and values that's creating the, um, the real controversy. I wanted to just read a quote from one of your columns. You wrote, Black history, Native American history, and Hispanic history, though not always glamorous, are American history and cannot be denied. Additionally, it should not be discarded because a governor and his constituents allege its teaching adversely impacts white students, which goes to the heart of what you've been talking about just now. But what do you think is missing from the way history is taught in schools now? Like, What would make a more complete 
accounting of, of history and what would you like to see? Well, you know, if you talk about African-American history and, and some folk are trying to uh, take that out, basically all you hear about is Martin Luther King, he had a dream, and that's it. Um, but if you truly look at the people who uh, are anti taking down the, the statutes and, and so forth, and you mean the Civil War Memorials? Civil War Memorials. Mm -hmm. If they really knew their history, they would know that their greatest quote-unquote general, Robert E. Lee, he didn't condone the erection of, of, of statues. He was, he was opposed to that himself. Um, personally, I don't necessarily think you should tear those figures down. I think they need to be taken down and placed in a museum or some other structure where we can teach and learn about what occurred, why it occurred, and why we should take steps to, uh, to prevent it. You know, trying to hide it is, is just not, it's not appropriate. Right. And that, that's yeah. actually happened in some places in Orlando, for example. The, uh, one of the Civil War memorials was removed from the public square and placed in, a, in the cemetery, uh, where you can yeah. still go and see it if you want to, but it's not yeah. on view for everyone. Yeah. But I, I, w I would like uh, real history taught around those memorials and those generals and, and, and what have you and what they really meant and uh, not to celebrate it as something that we should go back to but to celebrate the fact that this occurred and we should work to ensure that it never occurs again. You're listening to Florida Matters. We're talking with Goliath Davis III, columnist for the Weekly Challenger, about the controversy over the film Ruby Bridges after a Pinellas County parent complained about the film being shown to second graders. We'll talk more about the cultural climate in Florida and how black history is taught when we come back. Welcome back to Florida Matters, I'm Matthew Petty. We're talking with Goliath Davis III about a series of columns he wrote for the Weekly Challenger, a newspaper covering the African-American communities in Tampa Bay, after a parent in Pinellas County complained about the movie Ruby Bridges being shown to second graders. Davis was the city of St. Petersburg's first African-American police chief. He retired after 28 years in the police department and was appointed deputy mayor and later senior administrator for community advancement. Davis was fired in 2011 for failing to attend the funerals of three police officers killed in the line of duty. I talked with Davis about his experience learning black history as a child in both segregated and integrated schools, joining the police during a push to recruit more black police officers, and today's battles over cultural issues and education. Davis warns the pushback over a film like Ruby Bridges is just the tip of the iceberg. Can you talk a little bit about your experience learning black history as a child? What was that like? Fortunately, when I was in my early years in school, I was in a segregated system. So I didn't get into an integrated system until uh, high school. And the beauty of that was at home and throughout school, we actually learned African-American history. And we, we got to celebrate African-American heroes. Mm -hmm. and what was it like then how was history taught within the 
within the integrated school system in your experience? As I think about it, when you went through your history books, you would find this very short passage or paragraph or pages that talked about slavery and the Civil War, and they would uh, memorialize and really push Robert E. Lee. I mean, so much so that, man, I thought Robert E. Lee, I said, man, we lost the war. And uh, we, being Southerners, not realizing what they were depicting was the fact that if we had won the war, (laughs) I would still be enslaved, and so would my ancestors. But that's the way they glorified it, as opposed to talking about the real issues associated with uh, the history that they were teaching. And Indians were heathens, you mean the Native Americans? Native Americans. They were on reservations. Or they were sent to schools where they were going to be basically civilized. So it was, it was all contrary to, to reality. Now, you've lived through a previous iteration of the battle for civil rights. I mean, just, you know, your conversation just now about growing up in the segregated school system and moving to the integrated schools... But you were also the first African-American police chief in the city of St. Petersburg. I'm just wondering, when you think about your experience and what's happening now and this latest incident with this movie in the Pinellas County School District, what does it tell you about where we are in the culture in Florida right now? Well, Florida is a really unique state in the sense that you have North Florida, you have Central Florida and South Florida. And the politics of all three of those regions are quite different. You know, you can't run as a candidate in Florida and basically have a Florida platform for everyone. North Florida, where I'm living sometimes, is very interesting. Central Florida is interesting. And South Florida is basically heavily... uh, Hispanic, Cuban, Haitian, what have you. But I never embraced the title of the first African-American police chief. I always have to look back and give respect and tribute to a group of guys that we call the Courageous Twelve because those 12 individuals had the intestinal fortitude to sue the city of St. Pete and to create the type of situation that allowed someone like myself to come in and take advantage of all of the uh, the suffering and that they had gone through. And within that group, there were individuals who were capable of being police chief when you put them alongside some of their white counterparts. So, you know, I... I don't feel privileged to be, oh, I'm the first. No, I'm the one who was first to benefit from the sacrifices of 12 individuals who basically stood up and created an opportunity for me to do so. There were police officers in the city of St. Pete who had to work only in black areas. They couldn't arrest whites. 
they didn't have uh, regular patrol cars, you know. It was a completely segregated situation. Hmm. We had one sergeant during that time. His name was Sam Jones, and he was appointed sergeant. He was, quote, the black police officer sergeant. Even though he was a sergeant, he really couldn't command white officers. So when I joined the police department in 73, the big push was to recruit African-American officers to get more supervisors and to have our first African-American lieutenant. Hmm. I mean, that's how far behind we were. So that that was the recruiting drive that, that kind of encouraged you? Or, like, did you have family in the police? Like, what, what was it that made you want to well, be a police that officer? That was the recruiting drive that I was a part of. Mm-hmm. I joined the police department on the insistence of one of the Courageous 12, individual by the name of Freddie Lee Crawford. When I finished college, he was at my door <laughs> waiting for me. And uh, my response was absolutely not. <laughs> what, did you, what, what did you want to do? What, what was your goal? I wasn't going to be a police officer. <laughs> no. And, and what, what did you study in college? Um, in college, I was a sociology major, okay. behavior science. But this was during a time when people would say, well, what do you want to do? I said, I want to make $10,000 a year. Ten grand in 1973 was a a, was a pretty, decent salary. Pretty good living. Wow. Yeah. And, you know, I was always basically talking about change and confronting authority and what have you. So Freddie said to me, why don't, why don't you put some of your talk in action? And he kept, kept, kept picking, picking, picking. So I said, okay, i give it a try. So I said, I tried for a year, 28 years later. <laughs> <laughs> I was still there. So people say, why did you end up staying so long? I said, because there's a lot to do, mm-hmm. a lot to change. I wanted to just kind of bring it back to the broader conversation about culture in Florida, though, right now, and, and the culture war. I mean, where are we now? You've, you've, you've seen a lot of progress in your career and just kind of as an observer of humanity, but where are we right now? Well, it, it took us a while to progress, but we're going backwards at a very rapid rate. I mean, there's so much division and alienation, and uh, it seems that we're dismantling everything that we thought we had put into place. And it started with the MAGA movement, and now that uh, DeSantis is trying to be more Trump than Trump, it has intensified. I mean, when you, when you take on the mouse, Disney, because it recognizes the fact that some of his employees are gay and it makes some compensations for that, then you're anti the governor's position. That's just crazy. That's authoritarian, it's dictatorial, and it's contrary to everything that we claim to be democratic. It makes no sense, and, and it's getting worse. As it comes to the culture wars, the book bans, and the film bans, this is just the tip of the iceberg. Goliath Davis III, thank you so much for coming in and speaking with us. Appreciate it. Thank you for having me. And that's Florida Matters for this week. You can find us online at wusfnews.org or via Facebook or Twitter. Search for Florida Matters. 
Donora Prevost as our producer. I'm Matthew Petty. Thanks for listening.